I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. I got a card in the mail this week as a payment for the monthly messages, and with the card was a comment. Somebody was thanking me for the messages, and then they also made this comment. They said, some have said that the faith movement has passed, and others say, she was writing this, and others say that when people talk about faith today, it's usually hyper-faith. Hyper means beyond or excessive. And I got to thinking about that, about the faith movement. Has it passed? I'm going to title my message this morning, Has the Faith Movement Passed? That's what it was called, a faith movement. Has it really passed? Now, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, to connect with that, the writer says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Nobody can let them slip for us. We let them slip. Let me point out three words there. One is ought. Behind the word ought is not obligation, but it's the word necessity. Or necessarily, you can read it like this. You know, we out of our need, from which we get necessity, we out of our need should give the more earnest heed. Now, the word earnest heed means to hold one's course toward a place. The idea is you are going somewhere and you need to stay on track because if you don't, you won't get there. You have to pay attention to what you're doing. See, earnest heed is something you really want. You really want this. You really want it because you have been stirred by it and you begin to sense what it's about and you don't want to lose the moment or the opportunity. So out of your need for this, you go after it. You earnestly seek after it. Then the other word is slip, lest at any time we let them slip, because we can. I think there is a kind of a thought or an idea or a mindset in Christianity today that if you go to church, you're okay. It doesn't matter so much what you are listening to or what you have heard, as long as you are there with good intentions and that's what's really important because you become a better person, you become more morally inclined, and you become more spiritually thoughtful if you go to church a lot. But that doesn't mean you're learning anything. That doesn't mean that you see your need to hear something that you should apply to your life. It doesn't mean that because I don't think very many people go to church because they have a need for what God has to say. I really don't. I just think they go to church because it's something you do. It's kind of a habit. It's kind of a socially right thing to do. You were raised like that. You've always done that. That's a part of your mental game. But it's not like you go because God will speak to me this morning or I pray that he will and that he will open my eyes to show me things in my life that need to be fixed or a direction I need to go or something I need to deal with. See, I'm not trying to be a better person. I'm just trying to be a disciple. But I don't think that many people 
go to church with that idea. They like the atmosphere, they like the building, they like the paved lot, they like the Sunday school class, they like all the departments, they like all the opportunities and, and all the, the niceties that goes uh, with it. And good standing in the community, admired and, and spoken of well by the leaders in the community about our nice churches and stuff. And we like to be a part of that. That's kind of the mindset that political Christianity has brought the church into. And I'll deal with political Christianity in just a moment but it's just become a refined system of good ideas. And it's not like we're here because we have a need this morning. I have a need to know what to say. You have a need to know what God is saying. It's a need. Because if we don't earnestly see that need and pursue it earnestly, we will let it slip by. The word slip is in contrast to earnest heed. You know, earnest heed is going after it. Slip is not really paying much attention. Oh, yeah, it was a good message. And it just keeps going, and you don't follow it. You don't get involved in it. It goes by. It just slips on by. It drifts. Figuratively, as one writer said, it means to slip away, suggesting a gradual and almost unnoticed movement past a certain point. We heard it. We don't remember much about it. I guess it was good. I didn't get much out of it. You could have. You should have. But you didn't. And what came to you went past you, and it just drifted on by. Drifting has the idea of death because it didn't do you any good. It didn't affect you good. Lest we drift away from that which we have heard, he would say. We ought to give the more earnest heed to what we have heard, lest at any time we drift away from that which we have heard. We should know better. We've heard a lot. We should be there, but we're not. We should apply ourselves, but we don't because we have enjoyed just the general political idea of just letting the system do it all, and let's just be a part of the system and count on the system to take care of us and things. And if we're in the system, we must be all right because there's a lot of us. And the church has kind of gone to sleep. Now, because of that, we have movements. We have visitations. We have divine moments throughout history. When God awakens people out of sleep, because if he doesn't, they will stay in that mode, and he'll have to judge them. Because what Jesus brought us and what he came to do really isn't being done. We've just developed a system, and people are involved in the system, and they're letting the system do it all, and they're just sitting there watching the system perform without participating, and we're in a system. And so God has these divine moments, these movements, as we call them. Like in the earlier part of last century, or in the middle of last century, 20s, but especially the 30s and the 40s, there was this visitation, this divine visitation of God. We call them the great healing campaigns. And God began to speak and touch just ordinary people, people that you would never pick out, a Branham, for example, or a Roberts, a, a. Allen, and others, I don't want to mention their names, but just ordinary people doing ordinary things in little ordinary churches. And there was this movement, this moment when God came down, his spirit just wham, 
And there was a special gift. Something had happened. They laid hands on somebody. They got healed. Next thing you know, everybody said, what? God does that? We read about it in the Bible. We've never seen it. And here came a great healing campaign, and a whole nation was awakened. Oh, their critics were always there. There'll always be that. But ordinary people begin to see hope for healing. And there were healers raised up all over this country. Healing campaigns, great tent meetings, everywhere. I mean, you could get to these places. And thousands and thousands of people were healed and crutches were thrown away and wheelchairs and all those things, people were healed. And there was this great awakening it was a movement. It was God getting somebody's attention, displaying his power to those people to get their attention. But what happened after that thing was over for a couple of decades is that the people, they weren't taught anything. They didn't learn anything. They just saw things. They saw miracles. It didn't change their faith or belief in God. It's just that if they wanted to get healed, they had to go somewhere. They still had to depend on somebody in the system to do everything for them. If we can just get to that meeting, maybe we can get healed. Well, we can't afford, but we've got to get to the meeting. We can't get healed unless we get to the meeting. Somebody has to pray for us. People were aware that the power to heal was out there, but the only way they knew how to tap into it was to go where somebody was. It was sort of a man-centered thing. It's like a political thing. What will it do for me? And then things quieted down, and in the 60s. Now, I was there. I was here. I was there when this started. I've been in it and around it ever since. I knew the people that was in it. So what I want to share with you this morning is not from what somebody else said. I was there. I was there in the 60s. I got saved in 1968, but in the mid-60s, there was this divine move, this movement of God began to come into this country again. It wasn't a healing movement. People wanted it to be, but it wasn't so much a healing movement as it was a time when God began to stir his people. I'm talking about a movement, a divine visitation of God for a specific purpose and reason in what he's going to do and what he's doing. And I don't know how many of you really know much about it. You hear us talk about the old days and back when or old school and back then. Well, I'm going to tell you about it this morning because I think it's important. Because the statement that was made to me, some say the faith movement is past. And I got to thinking about it. I think, I don't know how many people even know what the faith movement was. I don't know how many people sitting in this assembly right here even know what a faith movement is. I don't know that any of you young people really know what the faith movement was or what it is, but this is what it was. There was an outpouring of God in the 60s, and out of this outpouring came a teaching spirit, this gifts of teaching. Men were raised up not to heal. There wasn't that much of that. You might see it once in a while, but not very often. But men came up and began to give testimony to what God is saying. The full gospel businessmen, for example, I used to be a part of that, ran with them. I was there. 
spoke many, many times in many places from Australia to Hawaii, all over this country with the Full Gospel Businessmen, which was a businessmen's organization, a great organization. And they got together as businessmen and they shared their testimony. Not a preacher, but businessmen. They began then realizing that they had these great conventions, a couple thousand would come, so they had teachers to come in. And this is when the teaching ministry began, began to emerge in this country. There had never been such a thing in America. I don't even know in history that there had ever been a time in Christianity which the focus became on teaching, explaining the Bible. I realized when they began to teach, I knew nothing. I didn't know anything. I didn't know much at all. Denominational barriers were broken down when the Spirit of God began to move and people were speaking in tongues as Methodists and Baptists and Episcopalians and Catholics. And everybody was going, what's going on? The Christian church where I was, here it came. We spoke in tongues in a Christian church of all places and in Methodist churches. And in Baptist churches, everywhere I went, I made sure I spoke in tongues wherever I was. It'd be in a private room, but I made sure that tongues had been spoken in that building. <laughs> I did. Everybody began to say, what's going on? What's going on? And we saw our need to get together. Full gospel businessmen kind of gave us a reason to get together. Yeah. Oh, wow. Listen. To, and everybody started to get excited. We'd never been excited before. I don't ever remember an exciting church service in my whole life. Prior to this, we got a bulletin when we came in the building. It was the order of event. This is what we're going to do this morning. This is what we're going to sing. This is what verse we're going to sing. This is who's going to take up the offering. These are who the elders were going to serve the communion that Sunday in the Christian church. This will be the title of the sermon. This is the pastor's name is going to preach it. When we go out of the building, this is what song Mrs. Cartwright's going to play on the organ. We knew what was going to happen. We never expected anything to happen. We were political Christians. We just came into the system. We sat in it, and we kept our mouths shut and listened to it. Nobody said amen. Nobody would raise their hands. There was no worship and praise. It was first, second, and fourth stanza. And then we sat down, and when it was over, we went back to life as usual. We were dead. Just dead Christianity, nice people, kind people, meaningful people in a dead system. And the Spirit of God moved. And the Spirit of God began to touch people's lives and hearts. And we were opened up to something. We didn't know what it was, but something was going on that we had never known before. We did not know what to do with it. We would get together and talk about what we're doing, what's going on. Isn't this good? And then we begin to hear about teachers. I heard of a guy named Derek Prince in those days. He was a wonderful teacher, one of the best I'd ever heard. Derek Prince, very knowledgeable man. And he wasn't a preacher. You couldn't just sit there like this here when he preached because you had to go back and start following him. This end time anointing, this movement, this visitation, we begin to be quickened to things in Scripture we had never seen before. We didn't read our Bibles. 
Sunday school class was just, okay, what do you think of that? Okay, now you read the next one. Now, what do you think of that? Okay, now you read the next one. That's what Sunday school class was. It produced nothing. And suddenly somebody started bringing out nuggets of truth we had never seen. Not everybody saw it. Not everybody was interested. Not everybody was touched. But boy, a bunch of us were. And we were seeing things we'd never seen before. We went back, started taking notes. Oh, Lord. And God, in his wonderful grace, began to illumine things to us. We began to see things we had never seen before. And about this time, we began to hear about the message of faith. There were two men in my life primarily that I heard talk about faith. I had never heard anybody take the word faith, which is throughout the Bible, never heard anybody make anything of it ever, and neither had you. It was just a word. It described the kind of believers we were. We were the Baptist faith or the Christian faith or whatever faith. And there was a couple of these guys, one I call them out in the West and one up in Indiana, Kenneth Hagan and Hobart Freeman. And these two men, both of them talked about faith. And I had never seen that before. They began to point out all these things about faith, like faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, yeah. Well, without that, you can't please God because, you see, whoever comes to God, you not only must believe that he is, but you must also believe that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And you'd find yourself going, um, would you say that again? No, you buy the tape and listen to it yourself. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So somebody had the nerve to explain what diligently seek meant, and then we get convicted. Diligently seek, I've never diligently sought nothing except my own way. So we begin to see things in a light we'd never seen it before. Now, I just want to say this so I can say it and make a point. I knew Kenneth Hagin personally. I spoke with him on the phone. He even invited me to speak in his school when they first started Rama Bible College. He asked me if I'd come and speak for a couple of weeks out there at the very beginning of it. I corresponded with him and talked with him. I knew Hobart Freeman. I knew Brother Freeman a little better than Brother Hagen. I listened to both of them. Hagen had far more experiences and was much more into the gifts and the spiritual things like that than Brother Freeman was, but Freeman was much more theological and had more depth in his teaching. But they both, in the time of my life, they both majored on what faith is, how you apply this word faith to your life, and how important it is. And things begin to open up, things that I'd never seen before. God began to reveal Scripture. We didn't even like to be away from each other very long. We'd listen to one tape, and we got to talk. We'd get together around our bologna and cheese potato chips and sit up half the night talking about what we heard. I'd never done that before. Why am I doing this? Why am I so interested in what the Bible says? All I can say is that God was stirring me. I don't know if he stirred anybody else in all of this, but he stirred me. I wanted to know more. And then every time I'd get one of these tapes that come along, we'd listen to those tapes. We'd sit around. We'd listen to it. It'd take us a long time to listen to it. Stop, 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 stop. We had to stop the tape. 
and discuss what was said. We'd never been there before. We begin to realize that God puts a lot of emphasis on faith. I mean, like I said, I never heard anybody talk about faith before. You know, I found out that faith was a work, it was a law, it was a gift, it was a fruit, it was a spirit. That the one word faith is all of those things. That by faith we walk, by faith we're lived, by faith we're kept, by faith we have the victory, by faith we're justified, by faith we're saved, by faith we're healed, by faith we're protected. Everything is by faith. And apart from faith, there is no promise. We found out even in our prayer, you know, we used to have prayer breakfast, which means you ate breakfast and didn't pray. It was the system. It's the way the system worked. Prayer breakfast, nobody prayed. We ate. But we found out, you know, I remember the disturbing feeling I had. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all men liberally and upbraideth not. Nobody went to the next verse, but let him ask in faith without wavering because... If you ask God for anything, but you're not really sure you're going to get it, you won't get anything from God. Anything. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Now, that bothered me because I don't remember ever praying and believing something would happen. I prayed but didn't expect it to happen. It's a prayer meeting. God bless John. God bless Paul. God bless Uncle Bill. And God bless the church. God bless Aunt Granny. God bless the preacher. Amen. Then somebody began teaching all about prayer, the prayer of faith, series, tape after tape, message after message on the prayer of faith. I didn't know what it was, but I began to see it. And I realized, like my wife said one night, we'd gone to Louisville one night to hear Brother Freeman, the first time we'd ever heard him in Living Colors in 1969 at a Presbyterian church with 20 people there. And we drove home that night, and she said, we have been robbed. And I thought, you know, we have been. All those years we sat in the system, nobody told us anything. The system operates on the principle of making people happy. Don't get them excited about something that you don't know what to do with it. Don't stir people up and get them unsure about anything. Make them happy. Make them comfortable. And the preacher tried his best to make everybody happy because you could make people unhappy so easy in church, just like in politics. Just say one thing that you didn't mean that way, and you're fired. And all of a sudden, somebody started talking to us like he didn't care if you like it or not. And they kept talking like that. Every time you would get a message, it's like, really, I'm not here trying to court your favor. I'm just telling you the truth. And even found myself wanting to give an offering. Send money for telling me that. And I did. I wanted to communicate with the one that taught me those things because I praise God for it. Nobody else is saying that. I'd get convicted about eating at a big restaurant and paying my bill at McDonald's, but you can figure it out later. But things were coming into our lives that we had never seen before. We were beginning to learn all kinds of things, learn about why our prayers are answered if they ever are. You're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. It's the only way God has given us to please him. How's that? By faith. Well, what exactly is faith? Then there came a series on what faith is. 
how you release your faith, the purpose and the design of faith. I had to go to Freeman to get that one. The others were just how to get things. This one over here was the purpose of it and why God is doing this in this hour. Because the whole design of this message we learned was holiness and that you can live a deeper life and escape the judgment that's coming in this world. It's faith that brings you out of your political system into a personal relationship with God. If faith was anything, it was that. It was personally relating to God. He that cometh to God, not the system, but to God, must believe that he is. And that the mission of any valid ministry is to go into all the world, and I'm in it right now, I'm in this place in the world, and teach people to observe what Jesus said. Not memorize it, but to do it. It's not a job, it's a ministry. You can't pay me to do this, I'm not for sale. It's a call. You do it because God sends you. If he blesses you and a lot of people respond, that's one of the ways he blesses you. If nobody comes, you do it anyway. Because it's a ministry. And you're not there to court people's favor or try to get something from somebody. You're there looking at people just like you've been looked at for years as needy people. You have a need to know what this message is about. You have a need to make application of it in your life. And you don't have a right to reject it because you don't have any alternative to it. It's either this way or there is no way. I said, I don't know about that. They call that hyper faith. See, hyper faith is Jericho faith. Hyper faith is Abraham and Sarah. That was hyper faith. That's successive. Hyper faith is Noah. Noah and the ark. You know, hyperfaith is getting out of bed and walking to church or going to work or something because you believe you're healed. You believe you are. You were taught that faith is right now. Faith is the very substance of what you're expecting to happen. I'm expecting to be healed. I believe right now that I am, and I know it's going to happen, so I'm going to act like I'm healed. And people thought you were nuts. You're what? You're healed. You don't look healed. You don't sound healed because in the system, in the political system, you live by sight. And people started teaching us on another series, we walk by faith and not by sight. We live like something is true that we can't even see. We live like something has already happened that hasn't happened yet. We act like our names are written in heaven in the book of life and we've never seen the book. We act like that what Jesus did on the cross and the content of this Bible, we act like it's true because we believe it's true. We are convinced of its truth. That's a divine visitation in your life when that's happened. God has given you something. He didn't give a lot of people. And in every movement, you're going to have wheat and tares. And a movement, it's a wonderful thing. But in this movement, this was not a great outstanding movement. But as I said, I was there in the 60s. I saw it come out. I saw what happened to churches, and I was involved in going to places for 10 years and traveling around the world. I saw it. I saw all the substitutes for this come. I saw the Florida for the shepherding movement come up. I knew those men. Literally knew them. Spit a day with a couple of them. 
one of them in particular and spoke often with another one and knew another one. I tried to figure this out today. Why did I know all these people? When all of this shepherding stuff and the faith stuff started, everybody was kind of in a one big happy movement group. Then it began to make some distinctions because the devil always tries to split it up and divide it and pollute it. The reason I escaped the whole shepherding thing was because I heard Brother Freeman talk about shepherding one weekend. I, I listened to that and I thought, wow, he's right. So I, goodbye to this other thing. The Logos Rhema thing, I said, I can't go that way. That was another movement in which they take the word Logos and Rhema, two Greek words which are translated word, and begin to say, well, you can't have faith unless you have a Rhema. Harema. And it's not entirely wrong, but when you begin to tell people, well, you don't have to believe God because you don't have a special revelation, then people dismiss themselves from having to walk by faith because I don't have a special revelation. And they go back to political deadness. The movement's fun because the people running the movement kept adding new things to it, and there was always a place to go and something to watch and see. But for some of us, it wasn't that stuff. It was this coming forth of a revelation of his word of seeing things we'd never seen before, throwing away our pills for allergies in those days because if I believe I'm healed, why am I taking pills? If I believe that I was healed at Calvary, why am I acting like I'm not? And I remember wrestling with things like that. If I believe God is going to protect me, then why do I have blue cross and blue shield? If I believe God is going to supply my needs, why am I borrowing money? And next thing you know, your whole life is changing. You're making all these changes and all these adjustments, and the world wonders after you. Not good. I had parents. What's happened to you? You can't have anything like that. God said I could. People tell me I couldn't do it. I went home one time and wrote, I am going to have, I'm a king's kid and God will do this. I'll count this. I think I've got it framed in my wall. Went through the wash machine once, but I can still read it. <laughs> House paid for. No job. No employment. I had no regular anything. I just believe that's God's way. How are you going to ever have a house? That's what I've been taught. That's what it said. What things ever you desire when you pray, hope you get it. Believe. You're going to teach me how to believe that because I really want this. So I begin to seek the teachers out. I begin to go where they were. I don't care what people say about you or about me. I want to know the truth. God, draw me into where you are so that what you do, I do also. And the way you think, I think also. You told us in the Bible, your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. But he offered us, he said, you can think like God. You can have the mind of Christ. And you can trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him because it's a personal relationship. And he will direct your steps, whether anybody else in the system goes or not. And they won't but you will. And eventually you have to leave the system because you were a troublemaker, you were excessive, hyper. But this is what this movement was. God began to deal with us about trusting him. 
and not in the things of this world, which we were trained to do. We were trained to trust in the medical system, trained to trust in the financial system, trained to trust in the social system of how to advance yourself and how to, and how to, and how to. We figured it all out. We even wanted to be in the nice church where all the well-to-do people were so that we could in the community say, oh, I go to that church. Didn't mean anything to me personally, but it's just where everybody important was. And one day God, I don't know why, to this day as I look back on the last 40 years of my life and where I've been, I don't know why. But I look back in 40 years and I wouldn't trade it for whatever's in China, all the gold in Fort Knox, for God changing my life, whether anybody else likes it or not. I'm not standing here today as blessed as I am because I was shrewd and clever. It's because of what he taught me that I was willing to do. The faith movement was this time of visitation of God upon certain people to show them how they should relate to him and how they can receive what he has. There's a better way than your way, and God showed it to some of us. I thought at one time everybody was getting this because there were so many people in the faith movement or the faith camp, as we sometimes call it. But we were taught, we learned in those days that unless we trust God, we have no claim on his promises. We didn't expect anything to happen anyway, but somebody taught me that except you trust in the Lord, you have no claim on his promises. If you cannot relate to God by faith, you cannot relate to God. Your good intentions and all your high-sounding prayer phrases is not what brings you and relates you to God. Obey my voice. I will be your God because that's what faith essentially is. It's that relationship you have with God whereby you're willing to obey him. You're willing to count on God to do what he said. You never had, and somebody showed you the ways you have it. And you begin to see what he was saying. We begin to get out of bed and go to church. We had fevers. We didn't feel good. We looked bad, but we just acted like we were all right. I went to school like this, and teacher said, boy, you don't look good there. And they say, are you all right? How you feel? You say, I'm fine. And then messed up and said, by his stripes, I'm healed. By what? Who? What? What? They didn't know his stripes. They didn't know what that meant. They went to church. They never heard it. Probably never will hear it. I hope they do. But that doesn't mean because you heard it, you're going to believe it because I've been around this thing for so many years that most the people I was around one time are not even in this movement anymore. They're not even here. They've gone back to the ways they used to live 30 years ago. They're back there now. Same churches, same hymns, same system, same folding of the arms, but now they're all victims. They're all victims now. Oh, I was missing all oh, oh, I was at blah, 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 blah. right. They're all victims. I'll tell you something else that came out of all of this. It was exciting. And we learned how to praise the Lord. 
Because with all movements comes praise. We couldn't get together enough, and we'd always pray. We'd come to church when the other folks weren't there in our night services, and we'd just clap our hands and raise our hands and just, and we even learned how to do this. You know, we kind of guys are dancing around like it's here. You could never do that in the political system. I remember I told you before when I said, amen, one Sunday morning, you know, the cracks in the ceiling. All because we responded to what we heard as saying, boy, I agree with that. That is really right. Well, you're not supposed to do that in the political system. You're supposed to sit there and let the system say what it says, and then you're supposed to count on the system to take care of this and do everything for you. Do your praying for you, do your believing for you, and, and bury you when they're done with you. We had no relationship with God. But here came the Lord. Spirit of God began to move. And all things became literally new because we were born again in those days. And we began to seek out others of like precious faith. I remember going to a full gospel business meeting in Louisville one night, just going, just happy and excited to go. And somebody pointed out our basketball coach here, you know, he got saved. And brother, basketball coach, they didn't know my name. Brother coach, give us a testimony or something. Come up here. And I went up here one night and said a few things and just want to thank the Lord and been good to me and so forth. And the lady stood up and yelled and hawked. I'm standing with my hair up on the back of my head. Yea, my son, I have called thee, I have called thee, and you shall preach my word, and you are going to do this. And I'm thinking, I don't know anything about what you're doing. I know they call it prophecy, but you're really off on this because I am not going to do that. <laughs> I remember one time trying to cast out a devil. We learned about the devil. We learned about deliverance. I didn't know this before. And then we got involved in deliverance. I didn't know what to do one Sunday. I went up to see Brother Freeman. Called him up. He said, I can spare a few minutes in the morning. I had five hours. I'd drive up there for 10 minutes. I'll take it. Give me 10 minutes. Sit in the rain and watch my clock. I did. 10 o'clock, I got 10, 9. Oh, you're laughing, but I, I did. And it was rain, opened the door, and I ran a little house in Claypool, a little pinkish colored house. Went in and uh, answered my question. I said, Are you believing for any of the gifts? And I, I think, Oh, my, I'm sure I, I better be believing for something here. Um, uh, I'm sure I am. <laughs> I didn't know what to say because I was afraid I was going to mess up. I remember he asked me once to speak. We were at, at his house. He said, would you like to speak tomorrow? I said, are you going to be here? And he said, yeah. I said, no. <laughs> I would now, but I wouldn't then. But anyway, he said, well, let me pray for you before you go. And I remember he laid his hand on my head and he prayed a particular prayer for me, how special way that God would bless me. I've wondered through all these years, you know, how in the world did I get in all these different companies and all these different people? I mean, I've ran with the rich. I've ran with the poor. I was blessed. I had a new Lincoln one time. Went to a place I didn't know where I was going over far side of Ohio, and it was a little church, a little light bulb hanging out front, and I'm in a new Lincoln. I drove a block down the street and parked because I didn't want to embarrass these people. And I remember the Lord spoke to my heart and said, are you ashamed of that car? Well, then park it where I put you. 
And of course, I did. The next night, I parked it right out front. Little kids had their little greasy noses on the window, you know. <laughs> Just a lot of ways God was teaching us that your relationship is with God. You're answerable to God. He will use you to minister to his people, but you are answerable to God. And this message of faith began to set me free. Everywhere I go with as much passion as I could, whether there was, well, spoke one night, there was two, man and his wife. Everybody else was sick. I spoke as best I could. It's like it's the first time. It's always been that thing there, that urge, urgency, that these people you're facing may never hear this message again. You were there. You heard it. You are required as a responsible relationship to God to tell them what the Lord has said. You witness to these people about what you've experienced. And you teach them. I don't care if you stutter. I don't care what kind of background you have. You go where I send you. And I did. And God has been good. We just learned how to do a lot of things. Praise and worship. We learned how to overcome. We learned how to act our faith out. <laughs> we learned to confess it. And people thought we were really out of our tree. They thought we were crazy. School teachers, family, church members, old friends. I begin to realize what Jesus said. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And it's not you they hate, it's me they hate because you're letting me have my way in you and the hate that comes to me, you're experiencing it. So rejoice. And we did. Now the question I asked in the sermon was, has the faith movement passed? All of that I'm talking about and all the people, there were a couple thousand at Faith Assembly. There were meetings all over the states of Indiana and Illinois and many in Ohio and one or two here in this state, one at least. And I'm sure out in Missouri and other places there were meetings. Everything centered around the message of faith. And really, this message of faith and this one great purpose of faith was to draw us in such a relationship to God that we want to be holy people. We want to be holy. We gave up a lot of things in those days. We gave up sports because of the relationship you had. And the message of separation required us not to involve ourselves with that kind of element. You're not better than these people. You're just trying to do what God wants. Women quit wearing pants. They begin to wear dresses because that was what a woman wore. They begin to do a lot of things that we didn't do before. We quit voting. We quit doing Christmas and all the holidays. And along with walking out, healing, and everything else, this is what the movement brought. <laughs> they looked at us as little narrow people, just little nobodies. They were uncomfortable around us because of the smile, because of this tongues talking and all of that. A good friend of mine was dismissed from a Baptist church. He came to see me once, his name was Don. Don came to see me once and said, I've heard about you, I like to talk to you. And I said, where are you from? He told me and I said, well, you pastor a church? He said, yes, what kind of church? And he said, a Baptist church. I said, now you know, if your church hears you're over here talking to me, if they know anything about who I am, if they hear you're here, they're gonna fire you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. 
So in about a month, he was fired. And you know why he was fired? He was a gas Midas. <laughs> you say, what's a gas? That was why they fired him. He's in this gas Midas movement. They meant charismatic. <laughs> they kicked the sleeping giant and went, get that gas Midas out of here. God didn't visit those people. I'm not glad of that. I'm glad he visited me. God didn't open their eyes. He opened mine. I'm glad about that. I've been to places where people don't want their eyes open. They don't want this change. They hear about you and they say this. Ooh, that kind of stuff scares me. Ooh. You mean they don't go to doctors? And of course, if you say, you mean you go to doctors? Oh, that's an insult. Because the system has drilled that into its people. We began to live the message of separation and all the world thought we were crazy. But we were in this faith movement and this is what it brought to us. We were cheerful, we were narrow, we didn't mind. We wouldn't borrow, wouldn't go into debt. Our women had holy ideas about things. Our children were supposedly taught at home. So the question comes, did this movement pass? And if it did, why? Well, let me give you a few reasons why it did. One, because people in it didn't embrace it with their hearts. The Bible says with the heart, man believes. The heart did not grasp the meaning and the purpose of faith. It was a large movement. A lot of friends got involved in it. It was fun to be in a big group like that. Lively meetings, lively and joyful expressions, shouting. That was good to be around. And for many people, their interpretation of the message of faith was how to get out of debt and how to get something, how to get healed or how to realize your dream. You can be somebody. And so they begin to try to apply faith principles for their own selfish reasons. Their relationship, whether you all like this or not either, I don't care. Their relationship was not with God. It was with what they can get for themselves out of it. And a lot of them were so unsure about it. just like in the political system, they were still glued to. They came into this new movement hoping that the one up front would do their believing for them. And do their, they tried to imitate the teacher. They tried to quote what the teacher said and hope that they, like a mantra that if they said what the teacher said, it would work. A lady used to be in his church years ago. She would make a confession. She'd say, well, that's right, isn't it? Isn't that right? And she'd say, oh, but I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Isn't that right? I didn't do this. I probably should have. I should have said to her, well, what do you believe? You said the right thing, but you act like it's only true if I believe it. It's not true because I believe it. It's not true if you believe it. It's true because God said it. Your privilege is to believe it, not because I taught you that, but because you learned it from the Spirit. I can do all things through Christ. Isn't that right? Well, is it or not? Those people didn't last forever. Some of them last 20 years. Some last 25 years. But eventually they just became men followers and they just began to drift away. The second reason is persecution. We began to be persecuted. We began to be joyful and excited and all the things. Turn to Matthew 13, all the wonderful things that were happening. 
There came that time when people began to oppose this. Matthew 13 and verse 20. Listen to what Jesus taught about the sower and the seed. He said, that he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and immediately with joy receives it. Now that's what we did. Now here's people that did the same thing, but now watch. Yet, verse 20, hath he no root in himself. He didn't learn. Had no root, no depth. It was all on the surface, a memorization of what the teacher said, but not something that God said in the heart. And because they were like that, it said they endured for a while, but when tribulation or persecution began to arise because of the word, by and by they were offended. There was a delay in the healing. A guy named Frank's back didn't get healed when he was prayed for. It didn't feel better. And after a while, Frank said, I wish I'd never heard of all this. And now today he has no discernible interest in any of this, none of it. And he never will. You can't treat a visitation of God lightly ever. It may only come one time and for one moment in your life. And if it drifts by you, it may never come again and you may never get in it. I feel like I'm just beating my gums about this. I can't tell you how important it is to learn what God is saying when he is saying it. Because if you're not careful, something will talk you out of it and it'll slip by you and you forget it. How important it is daily to refresh your mind with something spiritual, to read the scripture, to think about scripture, to learn to memorize scripture and quote scripture, to become word inside minded and not be embarrassed by it when you have to use that in a crowd. Just trust the Lord. But there were a lot of persecutions. There were deaths that took place. There were babies that died for whatever reason and God knows and the failings and the failures that took place and things like that. We were persecuted because we claimed the promises. They would say, where in the Bible does it say claim the promises? So we were tried to make to think that you can't claim the promises or plead the blood. We were persecuted because we broke away from the world. We wouldn't sign petitions. We wouldn't go do the things we used to do because we had a restriction from God, a mandate that said, come out from among them and be ye separate. And we took that seriously. We didn't try to ignore that because the teacher wouldn't let us. The problem with so many people in teaching is that they're explaining what things mean. And if nobody explains what the Bible means, you can get by with your version of it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Oh, amen. And then you start, to, this is what trust means. This is what all means. And this is what is meant by the heart. Oh, boy, that's hyper. That's hyper. That trust in the Lord with all your heart stuff's hyper faith. That's beyond, that's excessive. Nobody can do that. Somebody taught you how to think like that, and you'll die in that thing if you're not careful. The Almighty God is serious. We broke away from the world and its ways and we were persecuted through gossip and hearsay and innuendos and totally misunderstood. And like the Bible said, by and by, he is offended. 
A third thing that happened in this movement were attacks. Articles, books, radio. We were called a cult. I remember back years ago when we first started here, one of the people that came and it was a message of healing, divine healing. If you've never heard it or you don't want to hear it, it's a strong message. And their comment was that this is a cult. I've seen the same person through the years, friendly with him and all of that, but spiritually, I don't know where they are. That seemed like they're just like they always were. Nothing's ever changed. They go to church, they can probably quote the Bible. Life hadn't changed in 50 years. Nothing. Surely when God's doing something, there's more than that to it. Books came out labeling us as a name it and claim it crowd. They think that our confession of faith means that we just start confessing things, and if we say it long enough, then God will do it. We can just say, okay, I'm going to win the lottery, and I'm going to win the lottery. I confess in Jesus' name, and then we're going to win the lottery. As though that's what we mean by confession. They don't understand that confession means to say the same thing. If God says, by his stripes you are healed, I say, by his stripes I am healed. Because that's what he said. I'm not trying to make that happen. I'm only repeating what he said. I'm putting his words into my mouth because, first of all, his words are in my heart. And now the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And with the words in your heart and the words of your mouth confirm the words of God, he brings it to pass. That's what I was taught. That's what the movement brought. And people began to be offended by this name it and claim it or the faith and presumption book. In those days, faith and presumption. Well, now, you know, if you don't, uh, if you don't have this uh, rhema, then you're presuming on God to say that you are what he says you are if you don't have a living revelation of that. They begin to say that. And probably worst of all about the attacks was amongst ourselves. The infighting. The finger pointing in this, I would call it our one camp, the northern camp, our camp, the one I'm in. Just the finger pointing. The Galatians biting and devouring, Galatians 5, and you know, if you bite and devour one another. Always criticizing other groups that don't do it the way you do it. Don't sing the way you sing. Don't dress the way you dress. Don't act the way you act. Boy, you're just inferior in some way. One of the things that God mentions in Isaiah 65 and verse 15 was this holier-than-thou attitude. When you realize, listen to me, you go back to the communion table and you realize that one loaf, Jesus Christ, one loaf of bread, one bread, the bread of God, the bread from heaven, one loaf, and the only thing we in this room have in common with each other is we partake of the same loaf. Nobody gets more of it. Nobody's denied it. It brings us all into unity with each other if the effect of it is right. I don't want to do this, but you read in 1 Corinthians how a church was affected by wrong relationships. People had their teachers. Well, I'm of Hagen. Well, I'm of Freeman. Well, I'm of Roberts. Well, I'm of so-and-so. Paul said, do you think the body of Christ is divided? You think you come together for good? I don't praise you when you come together. 
You don't even like each other. You write articles about each other. You text message about how bad another person. You're the most negative people in the whole Christian world. You're negative, you're negative, you're negative. There's always something wrong. Something's wrong or something is wrong. Negative. You can't see that your relationship to God gives you a, a reason to pray for these things and to pray about this and do good and not evil and speak with grace in your mouth and not wickedness. But we did it. We thought well, we were defending the faith. The fourth reason I would say if it passed, why it's passed is because of distractions. Go again to Matthew 13 and verse 22. He that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. The only way I found a Bible you can bear fruit is by faith. You have to live like something is so, act like something is so, taking God at his word and live like that, and God brings it to pass. You give evidence of, you bear fruit to, the seed that is inside has been planted inside of you. And whenever that doesn't happen, it's John chapter 15. It's not good. But the things that choke the word mean that this word which is designed to flourish and bring you the blessings that God has, it does not because of distractions. What do you mean by distractions? Well, you know, back in the old days, <laughs> I was there. I mean, I was in the middle of this whole thing. I mean, I was really and truly there. I was around them, amongst them, and I was there. One of the things that began to happen to start changing things, it wasn't the deaths. It was the children growing up. Our children began to grow up. They became teenagers. And a lot of teenagers today don't think they have to grow up. They think teen years are for having fun and, you know, just being whatever. They forget you've got to become an adult. If you don't become an adult, you're wasting your teen years. And of course, some of them never did grow up. But our kids begin to grow up. They begin to look around other kids their age. You didn't know it. They were around kids in town. They felt like a freak of nature. They didn't have your message. They were curious about what other kids do. I have to go to church every week. I have to sit there in the front. But now I get out in the day. I go around school. I'm hanging around other people and see other girls. And wow, I like to look like her. I'll be like tough like him. They begin to question our beliefs. 13, 14-year-old kid didn't really respect your beliefs anyway. Maybe it's the way you lived at home. I don't know. One day they just sort of stood up to you and looked you right in the eye, challenged what you believe. And you realize for the first time they don't believe anything right. Kid doesn't know what he believes. She doesn't know what she believes. Let me tell you something. Any kid that can stand up to you and challenge you or even sass you you cannot trust because when they go out of the house, they're going to do whatever they want to. I don't care what they promised you they won't do. They will do it. They have no restraints. You do. They don't. We thought if they were in this movement and they followed us around to all these places and they were with us when, woo, and the best of the word it could be came, we thought they would get it, and they didn't. They didn't. They didn't grow up wanting to trust God with all their heart. They wanted to borrow they went to the doctors. They went this way. They went that way. They started hanging out with other kids. 
You know what we parents did? We gave in. I can tell you now, especially you younger parents, I can look back 20 years ago and I can tell you that as far as I can tell, it really is true. There is not a nickel's worth of good in sports. Spiritually speaking, I don't see any value whatsoever on this planet in it. But you know, when a kid is wound up to go that way and she wants to wear what other girls wear, I feel like a freak of nature. Then they begin to hide their jeans at somebody else's house. Somebody in the church lets them hide their jeans there. They leave your house with a dress and go to this other house, put their jeans on and go out and, in the world. And it devastated a lot of people. Broke a lot of our hearts, mine. But I realize now, looking back, we just didn't take seriously their need to be set down and taught and explain why we live the way we live. This is why we trust the Lord. As I told one one time, how do you think God gave us all the things that we have and the good health that we've had? You've never been sick. As a child, you don't even know what sickness is. Here you are, a teenager, you don't even know what a pill is. They've never even seen an aspirin. One of our children somewhere one time saw an aspirin and did not know what it was. My mother, I think, was taking an aspirin. One of them said, Mamma, what are you doing? She said, I'm taking an aspirin. I said, what's that? I hope they didn't themselves. I don't know. I'm just saying that what we learned apparently didn't get passed on, and then they didn't do well, and they began to get in our faces and challenge us, and it became a wrestling match, and we didn't know what to do with it. A lot of people relaxed their convictions and let things go, and we didn't do so well. I look back now. I don't know if it's because of that or how that happened, but a lot of people didn't turn out well because of that. We wouldn't go in debt ourselves, but our little girl, our little boy wanted a car, and so we went in debt so they could have a car and be like other kids. Be like other kids. Here's what happens. You lose something. Things that used to compel you no longer did. You set it aside for a while and hope it wouldn't hurt and matter, and you gave in a little bit and look back 20 years beyond that, and you think, man, I messed up royally. I messed up. I can't do nothing about it now. I preach about it. I messed up. Let me tell you something. Kids do not have to grow up and turn away from God. You young people do not have to grow up and feel ashamed of what you believe. You do not have to dread living right, acting right, and dressing right. When God is for you, it doesn't matter who, in all this world's against you, it doesn't matter. Another reason is the teacher died. When the teacher died, a lot of people quit. Every faith teacher I know of died with something wrong with them that didn't get healed. And a lot of people looked at that and said, well, well. But now remember, our relationship though we have one with each other, my primary relationship is with God. The last time I checked and talked to him, he's still alive. Jesus is not dead. He is still alive. While all these great ones, I mean, greatly anointed, while they all died, I don't know. I'm not their judge. They know now. I don't know. I know that we're here right now. This message never has changed. Nobody's death, nobody's birth has changed this message. 
Has the movement passed? Primarily, yes. Has the effect of it gone? Not in everybody. Not in everybody. Did thousands probably get a hold of it? I would say so. Did thousands let go of it? I would say so. Because their life today is not a living testimony. It's not. You see, the message of faith hasn't died. It's just harder to preach it now than it used to be. A lot of young folks want to get excited and do a lot of things. I'm so glad we got some really good young folks here. I really am. I really am glad about that. I'm glad there's more young ones than old ones. But it doesn't mean a hill of beans unless you learn how to relate to God and walk in a way to please him. All the rest of it, show. But when God visits you, when he comes into your bedroom, comes into your school situation, when God visits you, and there's that divine moment, he begins to speak to you about cleaning up your life, shaping up, where's your testimony? Where is it at home? Who knows it? Are you growing up or are you acting like a fool your whole life? You're going to be cool like this here, or are you going to be an adult, a responsible adult? Are you going to be one that serves God because He's raising you to be one? Or are you going to be foolish? When God speaks, listen and shut your eyes and be still and let God begin to work in you, whether it begins with anybody else or not, because the movement in your life might be just you, it's just God visiting you. Sally, Lucy, Billy, Georgie. It's time to let go of your childhood. It's time to suit up in the armor that Jesus has. I want to use you in my kingdom. You're going to be a laborer for me, and you can't act like a child anymore. Quit acting foolish. Quit looking foolish. Quit doing dumb things. Let's go. It's time. The harvest is ripe. I'm calling for you. Get up and go. Get up and go. Is this hyper faith? I durst not think so. <laughs> I think when God says to trust the Lord with all of your heart, that's not excessive. I think when God says to him that believeth all things are possible, I don't think that's hyper. I don't think when God says he will reward you when you go out and when you come in and you'll receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul, I don't think that's hyper. Rejoice. God has in this lifetime opened your eyes to something that is eternally rewarding. Hold it fast like a treasure. Amen. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I give you thanks this morning for your ultra goodness, your grace beyond measure, and for the mercy that you have shown to me and my family. For this assembly of believers here, you have kept us together for 30 years, nearly 30 years. You have rewarded us time after time. You've given us good children. You've supplied all of our needs and kept us all busy and working. 
you have been good to us. May our eyes and heart realize that you've done it because we have believed you. I ask you to touch the hearts of all the people here, everybody, so that they will not be afraid to give up anything to walk with Jesus, to lay down this world and its ways to do it your way. For if we can't do that, Lord, we cannot walk by faith. So I ask you to bless these people. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Lord, I believe in you.